What's up, everybody? I'm here with Catherine, the founder of Root and Rebound, which is an organization dedicated to helping those impacted by our criminal justice system. They do a ton of really cool stuff, and we are putting on a raffle to support them and specifically their work with incarcerated women. This is going to be a Mother's Day raffle, and tickets are on sale right now. You can win over $1,200 worth of prizes. They're all really cool. There'll be links in the podcast and our blog. But for now, Catherine's going to give us a little information about why this matters and why you should support them. Catherine, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and sort of what brought you to found an organization like Root and Rebound. Well, I am a lawyer by training, and when I was in law school, I conceived of and started planning uh, to build um, this organization, Root and Rebound, which now works statewide in California and has growing national programs. So um, I had a little bit of a unique um, sort of entrepreneurial spirit when I started law school, knowing that I wanted to do something in the nonprofit sector and found an organization that would fill a gap and fill a need. Um, for me, you know, the issues that we work on are both things that I do because of personal and also professional reasons. Um, so, you know, very simply, um, personally, I think I grew up with I um, you know, have Jewish ancestry on, on all sides. My family came over to this country at the turn of the century, um, the turn of the 19th century, fleeing um, persecution and oppression that they lived in for you know, hundreds of years in Eastern Europe and um, started over in this country where um, they had nothing but didn't face the same level of discrimination um, that they did in Europe and had more opportunities. So it's kind of in my blood to understand the way that government and society can create or, you know, not create <laughs> um, barriers uh, for people solely based on their ethnicity, race, skin color, um, and the importance of having a free and open society where people can flourish. Um, so with that understanding of my own background, as I grew up, I started to look around me. I was raised in Miami, Florida, and understood that me being like Jewish in this country, sort of you're white, right? So you're white and white mm -hmm. passing. And, um, you know, my family had over the last three generations um, sort of fulfilled a lot of what, you know, the American dream was of like coming over and working in tenement factories and on farms as children to then having generations that were able to go to, to high school, then to go to college, then to go to law school, and then to start their own businesses. And again, that's because society allows for that. And many, much of that was around race in my estimation and like why, why people came here and then why we were, how we were able to succeed. Right. Like, I don't believe that anyone's self-made. I believe that like, it takes a lot of work, but also it takes a society that allows that person to flourish. And when I looked at immigrant communities, specifically in Miami, um, where I grew up and also as an, as an older adult, um, understood the black experience in this country, really um, understood that while we might have experienced more freedom coming over here and being white passing um, and, you know, 
considered white um, in this country. Um, there are so many communities and families and individuals who have suffered as a result of great racism and oppression on behalf of the government. Um, for me, the criminal justice system is the pinnacle of that. Um, through the war on drugs, the war on crime, we, in this country, our government targeted communities of color, poor communities of color that had the least means um, and went after them with mandatory minimum sentencing, locking away people, quote unquote, you know, locking away the problem and um, <laughs> added to the existing issues that really stem out of slavery and Jim Crow in this country, right? Like this, yeah. this decades, 40 years of, of the war on drugs and mass incarceration didn't start something that didn't exist. It is built upon um, the history in this country of white supremacy and what gets criminalized and what does not, what is legalized and what is not. And in many ways, that is the very existence of human beings. And again, so that really goes back to my family's history in Europe and who is legalized, who is criminalized, who is wanted, who is not wanted. And we use our criminal system to institute existing notions in our society and in this society that starts and ends with, with, with um, white supremacy. So yes, like our criminal justice system is failing us. So is our education system, our healthcare system, our social services system. These are all intertwined. Um, but for me, the criminal justice system was a place for us to say, people are, are the, the war on drugs, the war on crime is, is ending or has ended, right? We, we've realized like that was an epic failure. It didn't work. Yeah. And all of these folks in black and brown communities, now their children, their grandchildren have suffered. Many of them have gone into incarceration themselves. Where can we cut things off? And so we're set up as attorneys to work on the barriers that people face when they have a criminal record, have been justice involved, to say, where, do, where does this end? How do we stop people from continuing to cycle through incarceration and poverty? And how can lawyers be a part of that? Definitely. I love... Um that it loops back to your family history, but yet this is really just something you're passionate about. And you spoke a lot about the war on drugs, and I wanted to expand on that just a little bit um, about the history of the war on drugs and just sort of where we stand now. You know, you say that it's over, but, you know, where we stand as far as healing from the war on drugs. Yeah, it's a it's a great question and something that's evolving. You know, we um, are in this unique political climate where um, there's sort of mixed things happening um, on this front right now. But um, on a sort of bird's eye view, you know, as many people know, um, you know, one one big plug I would make is, you know, I am not close to the best expert to speak about all of these issues and they're super complicated, but I would really recommend um, that folks who are listening, if they're interested and excited about learning more, there's a great book called The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander um, that has so much great data about the war on drugs, you know, the starting with uh, President Nixon and then Reagan and sort of the buildup of, um, that happened in the 80s and 90s. So that's a great thing I would recommend. Another is um, Drug Policy Alliance, which is an organization that has a lot of research there. And um, Jay-Z did a video for them that takes like four minutes to watch. And it's great, again, at sort of making the ties between the war on drugs and the black and brown communities. So um, with that caveat that, you know, 
there's a lot of really great stuff written, um, you know, in my, my sort of what I can lend to this is sort of talking more broadly about, you know, what has happened in this country. And um, so in the, in the 1970s and Nick under Nixon, we, he declared a war on drugs and that dramatically increased the size and presence of federal drug control agencies. And he pushed through measures like mandatory minimums and no knock warrants. Um, And then similar laws were, enacted in states across the country, right? So the states kind of mimic the federal government. And there was this kind of chaos and panic created in the 70s and 80s that all of these social problems, all these public health issues, right, like poverty and violence and, you know, urban issues, rural issues were, were caused by drugs. And that's really coded language for like young black men on street corners selling drugs because um, we know the data shows us that white people do drugs just as much, if not more than, than people of color and also sell drugs just as much, if not more than people of color. But um, it turned into a way for our government to like go in and basically clean streets and lock people up for many, many years and even decades for nonviolent drug related um, crimes. So you see, you know, over that period, we, you know, the country in, a, in about a 40 year period goes um, just balloons in terms of our um, prison population going from about 200,000 in um, 1970 to over 2 million in 2000. Um, in California, we went from having 12 state prisons in the 1970s to 35 right, in that short amount of time. Um, And again, the laws that were enacted did not impact all people equally. Um, Again, I want to be really clear that people of color are not more likely to use or sell illegal drugs than whites, but the way that we criminalized drugs, the way that we sentenced people, the way that we prosecuted, the way that we incarcerated had a very disproportionate impact on communities of color. So there were disparities in arrests and in prosecutions and sentencing and in deaths. Um, so, for example, um, a study that, that was done in 1998 showed that African-American drug users made up 35% of drug arrests, 55 convictions, 55% of convictions, and 74% of people sent to prison for drug crimes. So they make up 35% of arrests, but 74% of the people who are actually sent to prison. So that, even just sitting with that and sort of understanding that, that means that a lot of non-African-American folks were not, did, when once they were arrested, they didn't end up in, in prison, right? That's a huge difference in those stats. Um, we know that African-Americans were sent to state prisons for drug offenses 13 times more often than other races even though they're only comprising 13% of regular drug users. Jesus. So, um, and, and when you look at statistics around um, the Latino population in this country, Native American communities, um, you know, you see very, very similar statistics. Um, another really great website that I love is the Sentencing Project, because again, these are research-based institutions that have this data. If we don't have good data, we do things out of panic, fear, and discrimination rather than reality. And we're, I, I, you asked the question of like, is this over? And 
you know, of course, in many ways it is and it and it isn't. Like we've we've we have the data now, and there's powerful organizations. I hope Root and Rebound being one of them, but you know, powerful civil rights organizations that have grown over time to combat these issues to say this isn't working. This is harming poor communities. This is harming communities of color. Um, and um, and I think that the data that that's been able to be developed to show the discrepancy between use and selling and actually who goes to prison has shown us, wow, like racism is at the heart and core of this criminal justice system. This needs to change um, to show that like imprisonment doesn't work and um, community based alternatives are, are what we need to be focusing on. Right. So like good data is everything in this field, because if not, people are working out of panic and emotion and stereotype. And that's not a good thing. Um, Right now, we're at an interesting place in criminal justice reform because you basically have a bipartisan movement on the right and in red states and libertarian states where people, for economic reasons, um, you know, governments are decreasing the numbers of people in prison and jail because economically it's a total drain and waste of money and it's, and it's a harmful um, impact on that person's life and their family's life, right? Um, and so for economic reasons, you have Republicans and libertarians that are really backing criminal justice reform. President Trump in January um, passed something called the First Step Act, which was federal criminal justice reform. And under this administration, many people would not think that something like that would happen. And it did because, again, there's bipartisan support. Um, on the left, of course, people are now realizing that if we're going to have a sort of civil rights and human rights movement, that people who are impacted by mass incarceration need to be a part of that. And in fact, if we're focusing on poverty and racial justice, that they should absolutely be a part of that. Um, so in some ways, I think the work is only beginning. Um, in some ways, there's definitely strides that have been made. You know, we're reducing um, in California, we've had numerous reforms in the last 10 years to reduce the number of people who are inside for drug-related crimes, reducing things from felonies to misdemeanors, letting people clear their record. Um, we got rid of, in, in only in 2013 did we get rid of the felony drug ban in this state, which exists in many states, which says that, our, um, that um, if you have a felony drug conviction, you were not eligible for food stamps. Uh, when you got out of prison, which ma which means you couldn't feed your family. Um, so we just got rid of that draconian law in California six years ago. That exists in many states. So while less people are, I hope now, going into prison and we have more diversion and we're recognizing that what common sense will tell you that like draconian punitive prison environments don't heal people, they harm them further and they take them away from their families and they lead to more poverty and more marginalization in these communities. Um, that's common sense. And, and I guess we needed to see that for people to really understand it didn't work. So we have that realization now, I think, as a country. But what we're living with is families and communities that have been devastated by the war on drugs that are now living with its after effects. And that's what we really choose to focus on here at Root and Rebound. Wow. So that is a lot. And it's, it sounds like um, despite a lot of great efforts, we still have a really long way to go, which um, <laughs> obviously, which is why we need Root and Rebound. Do you think that people, you know, with the legal cannabis industry and, you know, now people can just sit on their porch and smoke a blunt and, it, and it's all fine. 
Do you think people have just sort of forgotten that this is an issue? Do you think people still care enough to make a difference? Uh, where do you think like the, the people's stand is? Mm. I mean, I think so much of that is dependent on us, right? Like our generation, you know, I'm in my 30s and um, I can imagine that teenagers that are coming up in this environment might not appreciate or understand those discrepancies, especially in communities that were not impacted by the war on drugs. So I think it, you know, for those of us that um, are raising children or involved in school or, or teaching young people, it's really important that we bring this history into the history that we teach. Um, I think in other communities, of course, the communities that were devastated by these issues, they absolutely know. And many of them still don't feel free to sit on a stoop and smoke a blunt because there could be other, that could be cause, even if it's legal, it could be cause for a cop to come over and start bothering them. So I think we live in a community and in a, in a society where based on people's skin color, they're, they have very different um, interactions with weed and with other drugs and different comfort levels with legalization. Um, I'll also say that like one of the major issues with legalization is that people who have felony convictions for possession, for selling, for intent to sell, are not able to be involved in the legal cannabis industry um, yeah. in, in most states. And so, again, it's, it's very prevalent in certain communities that, wow, this legalization really didn't benefit us. It benefited the folks that <laughs> were not impacted by mass incarceration that might have been sitting, you know, during, during the drug war, there was a, a 100 to 1 ratio of sentencing for crack cocaine versus powder cocaine, even though they're the same drug. So you have Wall Street, white Wall Street bankers sitting in their offices doing powder cocaine and even also sometimes crack. It's, it's actually sort of a um, wrong premise that it wasn't a white drug. Um, it's like a total misconception. But anyhow, let's, you know, they, if, they, first of all, there weren't police standing outside their door, but if they did get picked up for that, right, like it was, they got, the sentence was one to 100 for crack cocaine. So you had people going, even though one is not more addictive, one is not worse for you, it was about elite versus poor. So I think in many communities, you ask the question of like, where are we? Do we know? I mean, I think the communities that have always suffered in this country that have long been um, persecuted by our government through first slavery, then Jim Crow, then incarceration, now, you know, immigration laws. And it, it, people of color, I think, experience a different America than I as a white person does. And this goes back to my initial, like, why do I do this work? For me, this is about racial justice and equity. It's about saying, like, you're here and you belong. And just because you have a felony doesn't mean you are dismissed and, and shouldn't and should, are throwaway trash. Like that is not an okay way for us to be treating folks. But um, I, I, I hope that by listening to a podcast like this, my goal is not to induce guilt on people who are sitting on a stoop smoking a blunt. Like that is part of what should be a part of a free and open society, but to just increase awareness and actually lead like a call to action to say like, what can we do about these harms? Um, there's no point. Guilt is not a, um, a useful emotion. Awareness and being more conscious and giving back and thinking about, okay, well, maybe um, men of color and women of color who have records might not be able to own their own cannabis companies in my state. And that's 
on the books in many states, but how do I expand more job opportunities for them if they can't own their own business? How do I make sure that I'm a part of rallies and political efforts to increase the rights of people with felony records to vote, um, to have family reunification, to have access to housing um, and food stamps? So um, I don't think it's an either or. I actually think we need to work with each other and come together um, and, and realize that the rights that we enjoy, the freedoms we enjoy, should be freedoms that everyone enjoys. Absolutely. I mean, and that's why we're doing this raffle. Like the raffle is is cute and fun. You get to win a bunch of prizes for a good cause. <laughs> but what really is important is to spread awareness. And it's something that Chaz Moore of the Austin Justice Coalition said at South by Southwest. They had a panel mm. of um, how can we heal ourselves from the war on drugs? And it really mm. struck me because what he said was like, it's not black and brown people. It's not people that have been affected by the war on drugs that need to fight this fight. It's mm. our, the privileged white kids that are smoking the blunt on the porch that need to step yeah. up, you know, much like, you know, women shouldn't have to fight for women's rights. It should be the men that are oppressing them and, and all that. So that really struck yep. the chord with me, you know, and, and, and I think that's important yeah. to say. Absolutely. And I think we all have a role to play, you know, even if you didn't go to law school like me, that doesn't mean you can't get involved, right? Like you don't, there's not a certain degree or background or requirement that you need. Well, like, oh, I don't know enough about this. I can't get involved. You absolutely can. Every voice matters. And, um, and, and, and I think people are also still uncomfortable in this country talking about race. Um, yeah. And that's something I hope we can also move towards, not away from. I think um, that's so important to realize our, our history as a country, um, the privileges that we, we have every day that people don't have because they, don't, they look different, um, and the familial history and understanding of like what it means to grow up Black in America. Like the fact that my parents never had to sit down with me and have the talk and a lot of, and every black kid will tell you they know what the talk is, which is that you sit down with your kid and at a certain age and tell them, look, you're black. And because you're black, you know, you need to act a certain way. You need to drive a certain way. You need to talk a certain way. Just because white kids can sit outside at a party when they're 16 and drink and smoke doesn't mean you can. Like, that's really sad to me that that happens. It's even sadder to me that I didn't know until I was 33 years old that that was a talk that almost every black kid had. I wish I had known yeah. that because as a teenager, I would have been support more supportive of my of my friends of color. But I just think there's like a little bit of a bubble that we all live in. And I'm still like on unraveling the onion of like the privileges that I have and learning so much from others. But um, I absolutely think um, you're totally right that um, we want to listen to those voices and we want those voices to inform and be for at the forefront in the movement for more freedom and equality in this country and in ending the impact of, of the war on drugs and mass incarceration. But that doesn't mean that we white people stay home. It means we listen we absorb, we learn, we get proximate to the issue, and then we figure out, like, where are we going to be supportive and helpful, and how, what's our value add? Exactly. And that leads right into solutions. You know, mm -hmm. what is Root and Rebound doing, and, and what could, you know, an individual, just anybody do, mm -hmm. any age, I guess, any, you know, any mm -hmm. person that wants to help, you know, as an individual, what could they do? 
Yeah, so that's great. And and I and I really hope that people come away from this feeling inspired. Um, you can always go to your, my website and email me, and I'm always happy to talk to folks about how they can get more involved um, because we have volunteers and people who support us from like every single type of background and skill set. Um, but so more broadly, Root and Rebound, our model is one that is multifaceted. Like as we've talked about, this is these are extremely complicated problems and there's not a sulfur bullet that's going to solve all of this um, at all. But we've developed what we believe is a really strong multifaceted solution to working on some of these issues. So we work on policy reform, right? Changing the laws that continue to perpetuate you know, mass incarceration, but also the consequences of mass incarceration. So um, we really focus on, you know, now we have one in three Americans has a criminal record. That's 70 to 100 million Americans have some form of a criminal record. And again, the majority of those folks are disproportionately people of color. And so what that has created is, is a ceiling where there's a prevention of getting certain jobs, getting um, into housing, getting um, uh, reunified with children. And those are the areas where, where we want to be working. And we want to say, you know, we want to end this idea that when you have a felony, you have no place in society, or even if you've had an, an if you've been incarcerated, um, because for us, uh, for us again, that's just a proxy for poor people of color don't have a place here, and that's that's not okay. So um, we work through policy and changing these broken laws, um, through public education and creating resources that democratize, especially for people who've been impacted, who are incarcerated, know your rights information. How do I stay reunified? How do I stay unified with my children? How do I connect with them when I'm incarcerated, if I'm a mother or a father? Um, where do I, how do I stop child support for amounting? What about traffic fines and fees? Um, when I'm getting out of prison, what, where can I apply for housing? Um, am I, am, am I not able to be in any kind of public housing? No. And so how, do, how does that work? Um, employment discrimination, you know, how, what, it, what do I do if I feel like someone has violated my employment rights? Uh, parole and probation, which is a whole other form of mass criminalization. So many people, millions of Americans are living under the parole and probation supervision now because they get out of prison and they now have years where they're being watched. And that can lead to all kinds of vulnerabilities and issues. Um, our recidivism rate is about 70% in this country. And about half of that is for technical violations, not new crimes, meaning minor mistakes that people make that are not, that are not criminal, but they lead back to incarceration because they've messed up on parole and probation, showing up late to a meeting, skipping a meeting, um, passing a, a curfew, using substances. Um, th that can all lead to reincarceration. So, um, the policy work, the education work, the know your rights work, and then the direct service work. Uh, right now in California, we have offices in the Bay Area and Oakland, in Fresno, Central Valley, which serves um, formerly incarcerated women of color, and then in Los Angeles at a group called the Anti-Recidivism Coalition. And as I said, we're also expanding um, into South Carolina this year to have our first sister site in the South. So um, on an individual level, we work with people holistically across 11 areas of law and life to understand um, what their goals are, what their needs are, and where we can help them navigate and overcome 
barriers that they face because of their record. Um, so we fight for people to get in, to get education and to stay in school, um, employment, housing. We're on the ground fighting for these issues. Uh, when it comes to women, because I know that the focus of, of this work and the podcast is really um, to celebrate Mother's Day and to focus on incarcerated and formerly incarcerated women, you know, women's issues are unique. And um, we have, we're really lucky to have this office in the Central Valley that is exclusively focused on women. Um, for most women, when they get out, you know, their number one question is like, where are my kids and how do I reunify with them? And in order to do that, they need housing. So, and, and they need jobs. Um, and so there's a lot of work that goes into that. We have a lawyer, a social worker, and an employment coach working holistically with about 30 women um, really in depth uh, in the Central Valley, which is a difficult climate to be in, a very conservative um, part of our state that has less opportunity. So um, we're really digging in deep with those women to make sure that they have the stabilization and support they need to, um, move forward with their lives to reunify with those kids. We know those kids statistically, again, looking at data, are far more likely to end up in prison if they don't have a parent in their life and if their parent is incarcerated than they are when they're reunified with that parent. And we know that parents that wanna be involved and want that connection should have zealous advocates in court to advocate for them so that a judge doesn't just look at their felony on their record and say, oh, you have a felony, doesn't matter if that's completely disconnected from their ability to parent. Judges all the time in family court say, well, you have a felony, so nope, not going to grant you this, not going to give you custody, not going to give you visitation. Well, you don't have housing. Well, I don't have housing because I have a record and I can't get housing. So how are people supposed to, supposed to succeed? And, and, um, and that's really where we come in. We want to fight those fights with, with our clients on the ground along with them. Well, I love that. It sounds like you guys really have, have thought through every detail, which is why we wanted to do this with you. Um, I'd be curious if you have maybe a success story that you would be willing to share. Yeah, no, I, I definitely had a couple that I wanted to share with you. Um, so we had um, one woman who came to us um, after being fired for her, from her job at a medical center for having a criminal record. Um, and there were actually just criminal charges filed against her. There had been no conviction. And our attorney um, spoke with the legal counsel at the medical center because um, we informed them that we thought that this was a violation of her rights. And she had, the, the client had tried to clear the charges from her record and had been unsuccessful. Um, but again, we didn't think this was a valid reason for um, uh, firing someone who'd been working so hard in, at the medical center. So um, because of our advocacy, her termination was revoked, and um, which was a huge win. She was able to go back to work. And at the same time, because she came to our office, our women's support manager was able to provide her with one-on-one -on -one counseling and emotional support to give her an outlet to express her anxiety through the process and to assure her that she'd be able to overcome this bump and other bumps in the journey that she has. Um, similarly, um, we had a client named Ashley who faced a denial of her teaching credential based on an old low-level misdemeanor. And our um, office prepared her for a hearing before the licensing board, which is a huge barrier for people who want to enter about 20% of professions in California require a license. So um, 
they had been telling her because of this old low level misdemeanor, she wasn't going to be eligible. And because we provided her with advice and counsel and support and representation, she was granted clearance to become a teacher. Um, what's amazing about her story is that she was really unemployed. She was making something like $40 a month and she's now making about $4,000 a month. Um, and working in a career field that she loves and can now provide stability to her children. So um, she had this great quote, which I love. She said, root and rebound for me represents a second chance. It represents really freedom for me because I was at a place where I was really broken. I was really hurt. I was feeling really low. I happened to stumble upon root and rebound at a hard time when I was trying to get a chance to become a teacher and I didn't really think that I could. So those are some of the stories that motivate us. And again, um, we take a whole family approach. So for us, you know, we have this office where people, moms can come in with their kids. We have a whole kids center. We do a lot of group work. You know, the fact that people are formerly incarcerated or have been systems impacted and impacted by the war of drugs, um, for us, it's like a perk. Like, we're not like, oh, you can't come here because you have this record. Yeah. It's actually like, you have this record and we welcome you. Like, we actually want to dig in. We know that the system is broken. We know the system is harmful. We want to support you and your kids. And I think that's just such a welcomed approach for women that feel like so... Um, judged and especially as mothers like so judged for how could you have you know been incarcerated and be away from your kids like well no one chose that for me I didn't want to or I didn't want to be pregnant and give birth when I was in prison like these are the options I had and I made mistakes but I also was in a community where all I knew was like this kind of behavior and this is how you survive so um What's really interesting now is, you know, we're treating a lot of these issues now that we have this opioid epidemic and it's impacting a lot of wealthier and, and more white people. Um, we're starting to see, you know, and talk about that issue as a public health issue, as a health issue. And that's what these issues always were and always are, right? Like, you know, um, obviously, you know, there's there's a whole push for like these things shouldn't even be criminalized in the first place, drug use and, and drug related crimes. But there's also the like, if someone's addicted to substances, like why don't we come in and be supportive and provide healing services? Well, that's a lot harder and it takes a lot more thought and effort and infrastructure than to just put people in cages. So um, yeah. we want to be an alternative to that. And we want to promote like that through our kind of in-depth support, people can succeed and that they are the best role models in their communities, not us. Like they actually become peer support to others to show them, look, you can do this. And here's an organization that will help you. So um, we want to create like more and more positive um, examples through just our little bit of support. These women have what it takes um, to improve their lives. We're just there to, to support them along the way. I love that. And I love those stories. You know, even if all you were doing is, is just giving people hope, which of course is, is mm. a big thing that you are giving people, you know, that, that seems important in and of itself is just to know that, you know, you do have options. Um, so, yep. so thank you for sharing those stories. So I have a, a really difficult, perhaps impossible question for you. <laughs> How long do you think it would take to fully heal ourselves from the war on drugs? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, in some ways, I feel like it's not about getting to some place of full healing. I don't know that that's necessarily possible in this country because, again, um, 
it's more coming face to face. That would be like coming face to face with colonialism, right? And like, there's no way to make that right. The fact that we came into this country, you know, um, massacred Native Americans, brought in slaves, and that's the economy and and the government was was sort of built upon that is forever going to be the history of this country. War on drugs stemmed from Jim Crow, which stemmed from slavery. So like, there's just this sort of like, I think the war on drugs is um, part of the history of the, of this country, if that makes sense, and sort of something we have to reckon with along with a lot of other forms of racial and class-based inequality. But I do think we can get better. I think that the more, we talked about this earlier, and I loved your question of like, what can people do? And I just think the more informed and honest we are about the inequalities in this country, race and class-based inequalities, the closer we can get to coming up with solutions. It's having these really honest conversations with our loved ones, with our children, with ourselves at work, um, that we can start to um, work towards healing. And really, I think, listening to and putting front and center um, what communities and, and individuals who've been impacted, what they say and what they need. I don't think we're going to get to some point of perfection, but my goals are to see those stories lifted up, to see those people lifted up, to see more power go into those communities, to see policing and prosecution um, and incarceration done totally differently. Those things I think we do have an opportunity to do, to do differently and to do better. Um, but I think if we set ourselves up for like, we have to be fully healed, I don't know that it's ever going to happen. But I definitely think that we have this opportunity now where we're realizing like, oh, cannabis can be legalized and like everything's still okay. In fact, like in many ways it's improved. And so um, knowing that um, this sort of like hysteria that was built around cannabis and a lot of other drugs was, was really just that hysteria. Like what do we do now to, to, to see all of these issues, um, you know, poverty, violence, um, lack of means. Um, what, what do we do to, to see them in our own communities as public health issues and to not discriminate, marginalize, and judge people who are living different lives than those of us who are lucky enough to not really know those realities live? So for me, it's more about like understanding our fellow human beings and understanding the, the histories of, of different communities in this country and doing what we can to make things right. Um, that's what it's really about. That's a great answer and, and really well said. Um, mm. and, and the reason why we're doing this podcast today, you know, is, is it's not just to talk about it. It's to raise awareness and inspire people to educate themselves and to tell yeah. just one or two friends and educate them and yeah. keep it going. So, yeah, and I and I know you, you know, one of the, the major things that we were really um, excited about is that through the raffle, there will be um, a donation that's made to our to our programs and specifically to our women's program. And, um, you know, a huge need that we have for those women is often, you know, a little bit of financial assistance. Um, when we, you know, when someone loses their job, like so those, those examples I gave you um, overnight because of their record, they have no way to pay for groceries or for their rent that month. And so we've raised funds. Um, last year, we started to build kind of a cash fund for our women that um, 
we plan with them, like how much money do you need right now? You're in crisis. And then how do we help you get a job and get more income? Um, but we are going to help you weather this storm. Um, or when women come out of prison, they come out with $200 and a bus ticket and that's it. Um, that's only going to go so far. And um, we know that there's more support that's needed to help people get housing, get employment, get showers, get food. And so our financial assistance um, is a huge part of just basic stabilization and support. The women have what they need inside of themselves to succeed, but our um, provision of cash assistance and also a financial wellness plan um, are super critical to them exploring like, who am I? How do I, how do I get stabilized? Where do I, you know, where do I um, go from here and having a moment to breathe and not being in crisis or on the street? And um, that's really important to us. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. That was actually going to be my last question. Uh, we are doing this <laughs> raffle as we've talked about throughout the whole podcast and we have a goal of hitting $5,000. Hopefully we get way more than that. Um, and so I just wanted to make sure everybody knows where their donation money is going. And um, I don't know if you want to go into that any further. You already kind of mentioned it, but. Yeah, no, it's very much in need. It's, um, you know, we, we think our, our model of providing like legal, social and employment coaching is critical. And then there's just like times of crisis where what women need is money to like not be yeah. homeless. And through our work, we're able to make sure we find the best shelters or find the best programs and, um, and stabilize them quickly. But the cash assistance goes such a long way for women and their children, um, again, to stay unified, to not get broken up by CPS or to have, you know, the mom picked up because she's on the street and, you know, and to not go back into, you know, illegal work to, to pay the rent. You know, there's just so much um, that there's so much that these women's adversity that these women face. And there's so many times where people want to give up. And for us, this, this having this um, cash assistance fund that helps people stay on the right path because they know we're in their corner and they feel our support and they have food in their stomachs and they have a bed to sleep on. Um, those things are really critical to the stabilization process. Definitely. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for what you're doing. It is so important. And thank you for coming on our podcast to help educate people about it. If people want to look up Root and Rebound, it's just rootandrebound.org. For links to the raffle, you'll be able to find that, of course, on our podcast, our webpage, which is maryjaneexperience.com. Um, and we'll be throwing it out on social media as well. Catherine, any final words? No, I just want to say, well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for caring about this issue and for making the connection between, you know, the work you do and the history of the war on drugs and the importance of like moving forward, but also looking backwards and thinking about how we can do both um, as a society. So it's really inspiring to, um, to have your voice as part of the larger sort of um, cannabis legalization movement. And I really appreciate um, that you took the time to talk to us today. And thank you all who are donating to the raffle. Thank you all for your support. It goes a long way for the women um, that mean so much to us. Well, thank you. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. Have a great one. <laughs>